welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, I want to welcome you this morning. If you're watching one of our M1 online services, uh, or if you are uh, worshiping in person in our Resonate service We're glad that you're here, and happy Father's Day to all the M1 fathers out there and our friends. Dads, we appreciate you so much for who you are and what you mean to your families and to the family of God. We're continuing in our series entitled Matters of the Heart, and we're talking about emotions that are inside of us that struggle to get free in order to do damage in our lives. And there is no emotion that uh, the image of a lion seeking to, to find a way out of the cage in order to attack as much as the emotion of anger. Anger. Have you ever been on the receiving end of anger? Maybe in a road rage uh, incident where someone is angry at you for uh, something that you did or they think you did on the highway. Or maybe you've been chewed out by a, a boss at work and been on the receiving end of the anger of someone else. Or maybe you grew up with an angry parent that there was nothing that you could do to please them, and their anger was always just barely below the surface and would erupt at uncertain times in your life growing up. Or maybe you live with an angry spouse, and this is a, a delicate life that you are always trying to balance because of that anger, or someone in your family. It could be any number of different relationships, but whatever it is, if you're on the receiving end of anger, it's an unpleasant experience. And I thought we needed to define anger, but rather than going to the dictionary, I thought I would write my own definition. So here's my attempt to define what we're talking about today related to anger, an emotional response to something or someone that is intense and lacks kindness, gentleness, or restraint. This is a serious matter of the heart because of the impact that it can have not only in the life of the one who's struggling with controlling anger, but on every front in their life, every relationship and experience in their life. And our big idea says it so well. When anger is in control, your life is out of control. And that's really true. Well, I I want to begin the message with a disclaimer by saying that not all anger is bad. And we know this because Jesus got angry. There is a kind of anger that is actually good. And I call it righteous anger. And I'll define it this way. Righteous anger is when our, our response, when we see something unrighteous, and we're moved to take action to bring about righteous change, righteous anger. Let's see it expressed in the life of Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning with verse 
13. From the New Living Translation, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Jesus was angry. But Jesus didn't just walk out with no explanation. Jesus stated clearly why he was angry about what they did, what aroused his righteous anger. Verse 16, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Jesus was saying, you have taken something holy and you've made it commercial for your own personal gain with no concern about the holiness of God that was represented within the temple. You only wanted to leverage that for your own profit. And that unrighteousness made Jesus angry. And as Christ followers today, there are some things that ought to arouse righteous anger in us. Christ followers today are moved to righteous anger by abortion. We look at the taking of innocent life within the womb of a mother, and we believe that that is something that is greatly displeasing to God. It's unrighteous, it's wrong, and it makes us upset. It moves us, hopefully, to productive action to try to state to our culture, abortion is wrong. We should not, as a nation, be guilty of this. We're moved to righteous anger by immorality of any kind. We see people who, who do things that are immoral, they're, they're wrong, they're unbiblical, and it, it stirs us up. And we always ought to respond righteously, but it evokes righteous anger when we see the rampant immorality in our culture. We are moved to righteous anger when we see racial bigotry, when someone disrespects or even hates someone else because of their ethnicity or the color of their skin just because God made them differently than they might be. Racial bigotry is sin, and it ought to arise righteous anger in us when we see that, and we ought to seek to take productive action to speak and to act against it. And then abuse of any kind. Uh, certainly when we see children abused, it arouses righteous anger in us. But when uh, there's violence against women or there's senior abuse or abuse of any kind ought to stir up in us what Jesus had that day in the temple, righteous anger. Because as Christ followers, we are to love what he loves and hate what he hates. 
righteous anger. And so, here's the thing as we begin to look at anger in us. Our problem with anger is not that we get angry, but it's that we get angry at the wrong things, at the wrong things. And James, in the the book in the New Testament that bears his name, speaks of this kind of anger, not righteous anger, but what he will call in this passage human anger, selfish anger, sinful anger. Now, let's think about James. James was the earthly half-brother of Jesus in that Mary was the mother of both Jesus and James, and so they grew up in the same family, in the same household, with the same parents uh, in that Mary was their mother and Joseph was James' biological father. Jesus, of course, had our heavenly father. And so he grew up with Jesus as his brother. And think about that. He never saw his brother exhibit human anger, not even once. But James grew up and eventually accepted his brother not just as his earthly brother, but as his savior as his Lord, as his master. And James began uh, a journey of following Christ. And he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem in the first century. And he wrote uh, a letter to the Christians in his day in that world. uh, And it is known to us as the book of James. It is so rich. It is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. Here's what James said in chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must, now let me stop right there. James is not saying, uh, this is a good idea for you to consider, or this is something you ought to think about, or if, if it works out, this is something that would be uh, a benefit. No. James is saying, this is an essential quality of your life and my life as a Christ follower. He uses the word must. So listen closely. You must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. James is describing what he saw in Jesus growing up in that same family and what we are to emulate as Christ followers. We are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We are to to follow these because it is important for us to understand this matter of the heart. Verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It is not how he wants us to live. It is not how he wants us to reflect the character and the reality of Jesus Christ in our heart and in our lives. And yet, anger is a common issue even among people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And we know that uh, it's not righteous anger 
because of the way it is displayed in our relationships. Think about it. We tend to express our anger in one of several ways. Maybe it's explosive outbursts. And what I mean by that is where you just go off on someone. Uh, you may yell at them or, or it could even take physical action. It's, it's a very overt demonstration of the anger the destructive anger within one's heart, an explosive outburst. But sometimes it's kind of the opposite of that, and the anger is expressed in pouting and silence. You just kind of close down, and you make it clear that you're angry, but you won't even be honest about what you're really angry about. And so you just give the other person that silent treatment. You, you freeze them out as a way of punishing them. It is this third way, really, retaliation and punishment. It's a form of that, that kind of getting back at you to let you know that I'm not happy with you. I'm angry. And sometimes it's very clear, and then sometimes it's very subtle in what I'll call passive-aggressive manipulation. I'm angry, but I'm not even going to be honest about it, but I'm going to find a, a kind of clandestine, subversive way to express that, to get back at you in a way. And all of these, from the very loud to the very deceptive, all of these are expressions of anger. And whatever form it takes, people don't like to be around angry people. They, they never know what will set them off. And you understand if you've got an angry person in your life, an angry spouse or an angry boss or an angry coworker, whoever it might be, you don't really enjoy being around them because when anger is in charge of your heart, People in your life are never fully comfortable around you because of your anger. And so, this brings about two very good questions about anger. What causes it, and what do we do about it? And the book of James has the answer to both of those questions. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. If you ask an angry person, what's the reason for your anger? They'll say, my wife, if you knew my wife, you under, you'd understand she's the reason. Or my husband, he's the one that just provokes the anger. It's my, or it's my boss, or it's him, or it's her. They are the problem. But James is saying, no, they're not. The problem is not him or her. It's you. It's you. James said, they come from the evil desires at war within you. 
you want what you don't have. And I would say it like this, you are angry because you want your way and you're not getting it. You want your way and you're not getting it. And James goes on to say in the end of that second verse, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And you don't ask God for it because you're not asking for what's right or what's pure or what's unselfish or what's loving or what would benefit someone else, what would honor him and make you look more like him. You're not asking for that kind of thing. Look at verse 3. Even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You want your way. James nails us with this. He said the problem is not out there. It's inside of you and it's inside of me. When we are selfish and prideful, we are never more unlike Jesus. We instead are like the saved, unsaved culture, the world as James refers to it. And Jesus looks upon this as a betrayal, as a betrayal. James expresses this in powerful language. Verse 4, you adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I, I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. When we buy into the way of the culture, when we buy into the way of the unsaved world, rather than the leadership and character of the Holy Spirit, the person of Christ within us. We who are called the bride of Christ in Scripture are being adulterous. We, we are being unfaithful. Verse 5, do you think the Scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the Spirit He has placed within us should be faithful to Him. You may have read this passage before, but I pray that the power of these words would overwhelm us with the seriousness of our carnality when we give in to human anger. When we are petty and prideful, when we are selfish and angry, we are rejecting the ethic of Jesus and the character of Christ. And we are bowing at the altar of our pride, of our pride. And we often fail to see that the problem that we have with anger for what it is, it's an issue of the lordship of Christ in our hearts. It really comes down to who is in control 
of our heart. You see, when you want your own way and you don't get it and it makes you angry, you are still the God of your own heart. And it is not that he has not given to us that which we need to live in a godly way. Look at verse 6. And he gives grace generously. We're not powerless to deal with anger as born-again followers of Christ. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we have a problem with anger, we have a problem with pride. A Christ follower who ignores this principle will be perpetually miserable because this is at the root of loving him of allowing him to transform us into the image of Christ. This is what's at the the very foundation of being like him and following him. To win the victory over anger, the Christ follower must connect the dots between their pride and their anger. Anger is always rooted in pride, in pride. And that's because pride tells me that I always deserve to get my way. That, my friends, is a lie of the enemy. We don't deserve, we don't deserve anything we have. Everything we have has been given to us through the grace of of God. And so for us to presume that we are, we are deserving of more, we have a right to have our way, we need to be reminded again, we don't deserve what we have. It is all by the grace of God. It's by grace. And to think we deserve to have our way is nothing more than pride. Well, if pride is what causes anger, then the second question is, what do we do about it? And James goes on to tell us, again, with some of the most powerful language in the New Testament. Verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is a, a volitional choice to humble ourselves, to lay our pride at the feet of Jesus, to turn our back on the enemy who wants to, to tell us we have a right to be prideful. He says instead, verse 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. What a picture this is. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world, between Christ-likeness and sinful pride. Verse 9, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. We don't conquer pride because we are not broken over the sin of anger. 
Listen, anger cannot be removed from your heart until you see it as the sin that it is, and it breaks your heart. There are two words that we don't use very often that were more common in the church of a generation ago. They are brokenness and repentance. We will not see the sin of anger that is so deeply rooted in many of our hearts, uprooted and removed by the power of God until there is brokenness over our sin, until we call it what it is and see it for what it is and surrender it to God. You will never have victory over a sin that doesn't break your heart. Until that sin breaks your heart, not just because of the consequences it brings, though they are many, but because it breaks the heart of the one who died for you. And when we see our sin in the way that Jesus sees our sin and we become broken over it, then and only then can the power of the Holy Spirit begin to eradicate it from our heart and our life. And James says in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. But make no mistake, anger will not be displaced without brokenness. The kind of brokenness that causes you to apologize to those who've been the recipients of your anger, who've been wounded by your anger, who've been terrified by your anger, until the humility of the Holy Spirit enables you to be broken before God and broken before those you've wounded, anger will never be conquered. But the good news is, when we see it, for the destructive evil that it is, and we surrender it to God in humility and brokenness and repentance. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, the Holy Spirit is able to take that out of our heart and that place where anger was residing, the Holy Spirit will take residence in our heart. And he can conquer anger and change us from the inside out. And people will see it when God does that kind of work in your heart. An evidence that humility has replaced pride is when you no longer act as if you deserve to always get what you want. When suddenly you're no longer insisting or expecting to always have your way, when other people become more important than you, when you, humility has replaced pride, anger has to flee. So here's what I want to challenge you to do in these three simple but powerful next steps. Number one, pray first. Pray First, call on the Lord in the moment that you are tempted to anger and ask him to calm your heart and guide your thoughts. You can't conquer anger on your own. Pray first. Secondly, listen more. Listen more. 
Listen and try to truly understand the thoughts and feelings of the other person. Don't just hear them speak, but all the while be formulating your response and formulating your debate so you can get the upper hand. Listen and truly try to understand with humility. Pray first, listen more, and speak less. Not, not to speak at all, but carefully consider your words before they come out of your mouth so that you're doing what is helpful and constructive and not destructive. This, my brothers and sisters, is a very important matter of the heart because when anger is in control, your life is out of control. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we can all be prone to anger. We are all selfish and prideful. We are sinful human beings. But Lord, help us to be able to lay that at your feet in humility and confession and brokenness. Help us to see the destruction that our anger has caused. Help us to know the wounds that are the result of the anger in our lives. And help us most of all to be broken because we understand how that breaks your heart. That you love us. You saved us by your grace. And you want to transform us every day more fully into the image of our Savior. Help us, O oh Lord, to be people who are broken over sin people who become angry but only at unrighteousness and are humble and kind and forgiving. Help us to understand that there are others in our lives even more important than we, and that if we will trust you and surrender in humility, Lord, you will take care of all of those things. We pray this in the powerful, life-changing name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen.